My guest on the day show today is somebody who's a key member of the retro gaming, preservation and Shenmue communities. He part owns a company that sells limited amounts of games and are often the only physical items produced for these titles. Not only that, he is a massive, massive Shenmue fan and brought to market the Shenmue 3 Day 1 Collector's Edition with the Dreamcast case, has brought to market the Shenmue 3 Complete Edition and the Shenmue Music Sets LP and CDs. My guest today is Shenmue fan and limited run games owner, Josh Fairhurst. So Josh, welcome to the dojo on this fine Friday evening or afternoon where you are. How's it going? It's going great. Super happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to to join me. I know you guys at Limited Runner absolutely swamped with stuff. So thank you. It's much appreciated. So I'm going to dive straight in. I do this with everybody. Um, is I'd like you to sort of give me an overview of what got you into gaming and your gaming history from when you were growing up to the present day. Sure. So, you know, I, I started playing games, I'd say when I was three, I think it was about the age when... Uh, we got a Nintendo at my house. Um, we actually tricked my mom into buying it for my dad. We claimed it was for his birthday. Um, but it was really me, my brother, and my sister trying to get it for ourselves. And, you know, my dad had liked Atari, but he, he wasn't really, like, super into it. Uh, but we managed to convince my mom. I guess we put on a, a very convincing show. And sure enough, the Nintendo was way too complicated for my dad, and he never played it. But that really started a lifelong love of games for me. And from there, you know, I played the Nintendo for about, I'd say like seven or eight years. And then my grandparents got me and my brother, a Sega Genesis for Christmas. And at that point, you know, that's when I became a, a Sega kid for, you know, my, my brother, he saved money. He bought a super Nintendo, but he'd never let me play it. So, you know, he, he didn't have any level of control over the Genesis because that was bought for both of us. So, you know, I really got into Sonic, I got into Streets of Rage, Eternal Champions, the Comic Zone Vector Man, like those are all the games I played. Uh, I, I had a free trial of Sega Channel for a while, so, oh, nice. you know, there, there were a few months where I was just kind of glued to that, playing anything I could through through there. So I'm still a big fan of Pulse Man, which only ever came out on that. That was a, you know, pre-Pokemon game from Game Freak that only ever came out on Sega Channel, and it's great. If uh, if you've never played it, you should check it out. After after that, uh, I, I was kind of on the Genesis until uh, till the Dreamcast, really, until 1999. I uh, I sold a bunch of Beanie Babies to get the money to buy a Dreamcast, and I, I went to the store. I pre-ordered it. I think I got Blue Stinger, Power Stone, and Sonic Adventure on release day. And uh, you know, there's there's this thing where you know that the, the first game you buy with your own hard-earned money uh it just kind of ends up having a special place in your heart and dreamcast was that for me because i really appreciated the value of that console because i bought it myself and i really played the hell out of it knowing that uh i had bought it myself and i was you know invested in it and i loved it uh and i started reading the official dreamcast magazine and getting really into more into Sega at that point, kind of retroactively got a Saturn by trading uh, somebody in my neighborhood Pokemon cards for it. You know, I'm just like full, full in on Sega at that point and maintained that until, you know, I was still playing my Dreamcast probably until like 2005 when I got an Xbox 360. Oh, you know, wow. the, the, <laughs> the, uh, 
I guess I played a lot of GameCube because I was playing uh, Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2 and uh, some of the other like Dreamcast stuff that uh, uh, ended up getting ported over there. Same thing with Xbox. But, you know, I while I was in high school around that time, I kind of just, you know, I was really focused on some specific games, you know, Sega stuff or um, some kind of similar things. I could occasionally play some uh, RPGs, but I was mostly focused on school. And then when the Xbox 360 came out, I kind of got you know, really deep back into playing everything. So I think on Xbox 360, I managed to get like a 110,000 gamer score or whatever. Oh, wow. And then because I was just playing so much at that point when I was in uh, college and after, and I kind of like really dove back into the idea of wanting to make games, which was something that as a kid, I was also interested in because uh, I never had a very good computer. I had a really uh, garbage uh, tandy computer that had basic on it and I could play games off of like a big five and a half inch floppy disk you know something you know, these things were like 15 years out of date at that point or I could make my own stuff in basic so I learned how to program so I could kind of make games and you know play something new to some extent and uh, I got out of that I'd say you know once I realized you know I wasn't very good at programming graphics uh, so I, I probably did it for about three years but when I was in high school in college, I really got back into this, you know, I want to make games. So I started learning Unreal. Um, I started taking courses uh, on programming. And in college, I focused on that. So by the time I got out of college, I uh, kind of really felt like diving into it full time. And I started my own game studio. I forgot to mention when I was in college, I worked at Epic Games as a game tester on Gears of War 2. And I kind of got a taste of working on AAA. And it was a really stressful experience because I was full-time student in college uh and i was doing you know full course load but then i was also doing uh 90 hour weeks at epic while, while we were crunching on the game it was just kind of non-stop and there was a lot of personal stuff that happened in that period that was just kind of insane my brother almost died he was in a car the the guy driving it was drunk and my brother almost died my mom went into the hospital because she was sick and eventually died from that and you know it's just this thing where i like i wasn't home i wasn't there to be with them and I was like you know I, I don't think I can I can do triple a crunch and that really pushed me to start my own thing after college so I, I did that I started mighty rabbit studios to make games for myself uh, we released a game called Saturday morning RPG uh, on mobile um, and it reviewed well and, and it kind of gained a cult following to some extent but it wasn't a big financial hit so my company kind of had to seek work elsewhere. We got hired to make this game called Breach and Clear. We basically decided to build it for like a shoestring budget and uh, we had no stake in the revenue on it. So if it was successful, we didn't really get anything from that, but we needed the work. We built it. It was successful. It made our partner several million dollars, I think. And uh, they brought us back to do a sequel. And the issue with that one ended up being that we had three partners on three publishers that we had to kind of individually please on it. Uh, and they all wanted different games. So we ended up having to build uh, basically three games in one to appease everyone. And this was a huge undertaking for a team of 11 people. So we kind of ended that development in a weird spot. Like the game surprisingly reviewed decent for how crazy the development was and for how kind of ridiculous we had to make the design to appease everyone uh, it's kind of a miracle that it's as playable and decent as it is 
it didn't really make a lot of money and you know it wasn't the standard that any of these publishers wanted like i think we reviewed around like a high 60 low 70 on metacritic like not bad when you think about you know shoestring budget 11 people and we had to put three games in one and you know just to describe it it was an open world tactical game that you can play either you know as a turn-based game where you have control over the flow of time or as a real-time action game and it's open world with a 40-hour single-player storyline like a full loot system like procedurally generated dungeons like online drop-in drop-out multiplayer like every single feature that could be thought of had to go into this thing because all our publishers wanted different things and it's just like shocking that it turned out as decently as it did but you know, it, it wasn't a huge hit. So we didn't have any work after that. And we were about to close. Um, and I kind of made this decision to throw all of our last remaining money into taking one of the games that we'd made, that Breach and Clear game. They they had kind of thrown us a bone and given us Vita rights. They were like, ah, yeah, we don't really care about Vita. You can port, that, port it to Vita and do whatever you want there. So that was kind of like the last thing we did. And I made this decision like, hey, you know, if we're going to go out of business, I want this thing we made to be preserved physically so that people know we were here. They know we did something because when you look at like physical games, there's not really a lot of forgotten games that have come out physically like game collectors keep these things alive. They, they, you know, they trade them around. They talk about them. They revisit them on YouTube years later. But you know, I don't think this is going to happen with digital games. I think, you know, if a game ever comes out digitally, eventually it's just going to end up completely forgotten in a way that like games from the eighties and nineties don't end up. I made this decision. This last money we had would be put into taking breach and clear on the Vita and making it physical. And, you know, everything at the time said this would be a really stupid idea. It was like, you know, the Vita was basically dead at this point, 2015. It had been out for, I think like two years. Um, but AAA people had all but abandoned it. And uh, physical was another thing everyone was saying was dead. They were like, you know, digital's the future. So it seemed like a really unwise decision from every angle you looked at it. But I decided to do it just kind of hoping that, you know, there were other people like me that liked collecting games that would want this. And that, you know, there were other people that were maybe frustrated about digital games kind of taking over physical yeah, and definitely. sure enough, there was, you know, there, there were enough people out there that wanted this, that when we put the game up for sale, uh, me and my, uh, so my friend from childhood, Douglas Bogart actually joined the company when, when I started it as my co-founder to help me kind of get everything off the ground and market and do everything he could to kind of get the word out about it. So, you know, we worked together to ensure that this first release was a success and, it sold out in under two hours, which was kind of astounding. And it was like instantly validating that like, yeah, there's a there's a, a big audience for this. This is a, a good idea. And from there, it's just kind of been a, a whirlwind where we have released over a thousand different things physically in the last five years, which is insane. Crazy to think you've been going five-ish years and that's what, basically 200 releases a year. Yeah, it's nuts. That's insane. And- And I've been able to work on things that have been kind of near and dear to me since I was a kid, like Star Wars, you know, getting to work on Sega stuff like Panzer Dragoon, Shenmue, Space Channel 5, like Streets of Rage. These things are all crazy. Like I, 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 if I went back in time and told 
kid me what I was doing, I don't think I would believe myself. No, and I'm slightly jealous you're working on all those Sega titles. And one of those, obviously, is Shenmue itself. So let's go back a little bit. When did you first come across Shenmue itself and what drew you to it? So I saw Shenmue in a the Dreamcast magazine because I was uh, a big fan of that magazine. I kind of I bought that first preview issue that they put out and then uh, I kind of subscribed immediately after that because I loved it. And I they, they would focus on Shenmue because it was this beautiful looking game. It was cutting edge. It was very different than everything at the time. And I think in one of the early demo discs, they actually like included like a, a real time video talking about what, you know, full reactive eyes entertainment was. And it just drew me in because there was nothing like it at the time. Grand Theft Auto hadn't been out like the the concept of a game where you kind of live in this world that was this immersive just didn't exist so it was super appealing and also as somebody who had just kind of recently discovered like anime and and really gotten into japanese culture at the time like the idea of being able to kind of live inside of this like period piece of japan like this small slice of japan like it just felt so appealing and alluring to me at the time so i, I kind of made it a point to follow that game and i think there are only two times in my life where i've ever traded in my games to afford another game like i hated selling my games i still do and i still regret it so much <laughs> that i can still like think back to this but i actually tr- i actually had to trade in games to get shenmue but i knew it would be worth it i mean i've subsequently gone back and like rebought those and i'm pretty sure some of the games i traded in were my brothers and he didn't know it <laughs> but right i uh I, I i distinctly remember trading trading in like toy commander uh and some other stuff for dreamcast that like i've gone back and reacquired those but you know it still stands out to me as like i i was so drawn to shenmue that i kind of went against my own personal principles to get it because i was like i, I gotta have this game i need it that's commitment that's definitely commitment to the cause to get hold of shenmue and I mean, you've got going back years now. Do you remember uh, what you first did when you popped it in that Dreamcast and actually it fired up for the first time? Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched that that attract mode video. You know, Shenhua standing on the, the the rock with the the hawk or falcon or whatever flying by, and I was just like amazed by it because it looked so realistic and there was nothing. Like again, it's just like it's it's hard to put this into context. I don't think I have to do this for any listeners here. Like, I'm sure everyone that listens to this. You know, kind of had the same experience but there's like at the time there was nothing like this like there weren't games that were set in like a realistic like almost modern day setting at the time like there's nothing like that so it just really just blew my mind to to see something like this rendered in a game you know it felt like something that was more that i would see in a movie yeah yeah that's a good way to put it actually and when you think about the setting and then you add in the music, you add in the story, you add in all of it together. And it's this package in you know, back in 1999, 2000, where I don't know what it was. It was groundbreaking. There was nothing, nothing like it. I would argue, and someone will probably correct me, a gaming historian, that I'd argue it's probably the first proper true sort of AAA title that we now sort of see and take for granted almost. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that. I mean, I don't at least you know in in my mind having been a sega fan like almost everything that i was playing up to that point was uh, an arcade conversion and i loved them but you know they were they were simpler games not necessarily in terms of like the difficulty of the play but 
you know, you weren't progressing like a very advanced or complicated narrative of any sort. You were kind of just playing to get better at the game. And Shenmue kind of, um, you know, it was one of my first experiences where it was like a game where your primary motive to get through, it wasn't to get better. It wasn't to get more points. It was to learn more about the story. Yeah, definitely. And the, and the story in Shenmue is, is a big epic story. So talking about obviously Shenmue 2 as well, obviously you play Shenmue 1, you finish it. Did you import Shenmue 2 for Dreamcast or did you have to wait? Yeah, so I mean, I, I the minute I finished Shenmue 1, I remember going online and looking up details on Shenmue 2. And I was super happy to see that like details were kind of already out there about it. And I was excited to get it. I don't remember if you know, it had already come out in Japan at the time, but I decided to wait because I wanted the U.S. version. And then, you know, the disappointing news came through that uh, the Dreamcast version wasn't coming here. Uh, so I kind of longingly eyed a uh, U.K. import that was being sold at a, a store near me for a very long time, but I never had the money to buy it. So I ended up having to wait for the Xbox release and then I played it there. But what's weird is the uh, the copy that I, I that I was like staring at longingly for months. I ended up finding it at a game store used, like in the the mid two thousand, like two thousand seven, I think. Uh, there was a, a game store called Play and Trade, and they had that exact copy that I was staring at in two thousand, just sitting there. Like somebody, whoever had bought it, that wasn't me, had traded it in, and it came back to me. So I still have that. I picked that up, and you know, it's been a part of my collection for the last fourteen years, and it's like. Just it, it, it's weird that it came back. It was like destiny, fate, fate, right there. So, all right then, put you on the spot a little bit. Out of the first two original Shenmue games, which is your favorite? I like the first one just because I've played it more than I've played the second. So I played through the first one probably like four times because I played it a second time while I was waiting for the second game to can't come out, and then I played it again at some point in the mid thousands when I was just trying to, you know, I just got back into it and. uh I didn't get back to Shenmue 2 again until the HD version came out. And when that came out, I played Shenmue 1 and 2 back to back. I like Shenmue 2 a lot because the scope is so much bigger and there's so much that you can do in it. There's so much story development and characterization, but there's something about how small Dobuida is versus Hong Kong. Like Kowloon's just so huge that it just doesn't feel doesn't feel as focused. There's something about this like small area where there's so much detail, there's so much life. And that's not to say that detail's not there in Shenmue 2. It's still there in uh, astounding amounts, but Shenmue 1's just special in this this way to me. Very good. I mean Shenmue 1 feels like you're you're at home. It's like you say it's that very small world where everything's intricate. It's all very nice and detailed and you can pick things up and it feels lived in. I think it, that's the way it would go with Hong Kong as you say it's the scope is massive and it makes you feel yeah. lost, which I think is part of what they wanted to do. And that kind of, you know, that that's kind of my my feeling on Shenmue 3 as well where like you know you you get out of Bailu into Nyawu and it's like you know, they're night and day. Bailu's so much more kind of contained, I think. And then Nyawu is just like huge. It's like, it's almost, it was overwhelming when I got there. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, it was. I mean, Bailu, I love Bailu Village. It's one of my favorite areas. I think because it feels like home. That's the only way I can describe it. Nyawu is, as you say, is much larger. So Shenmue 3, obviously 
we when you finished Shenmue 2, you weren't anticipating an eye on 15-year wait for Shenmue 3 to get announced. Um, where were you? Did you see the forklift tweet from Yuzuzuki when it was finally announced? I, I saw the forklift tweet, I think. And uh, so I was actually flying to E3 when it was announced. I was on the plane when it was announced. So I had seen the forklift tweet. I'm like, okay, this is just, you know, you know, I was jaded after so long. Where I was just like, there's no way that anything's yeah, happening. Yeah. Uh, I was like, this can't be real. I'm not going to get my hopes up. But then the plane lands and my texts start coming through. And all of my employees who know I'm a huge Shenmue fan, they, they're just like saying, did you see this? Shenmue 3 was announced. And I was like, you're, you're screwing with me. You're messing with me. You're not. This isn't real. And then I looked it up and I was just like, I, I probably did something really embarrassing, like jumping up in excitement on the plane or something. I'm sure I did something really embarrassing on the plane, but um, I was so excited about it. I immediately went and backed it for several hundred dollars. And, you know, it, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. The game they said would never happen, I think. And it did. So sort of fast forwarding a bit, obviously you get Shenmue 3 in your hand. What are your what are your thoughts on Shenmue 3 now you've played it and sort of had time to digest it? I really liked it. So I know it's polarizing, uh, but I yeah. feel like the general I feel like the general response from people who really like the first two games is that they still really liked the third one. Uh, and I think it's a lot of people who maybe kind of had these expectations that the third game would modernize it uh, that like kind of ended up let down because it, it really didn't modernize anything. Right. Like no, it didn't, it, it, it really felt like it was a game that was developed back then, but it has much better graphics. Yeah. And that was fine to me. Like it was exactly what I expected. Um, so I didn't end up disappointed by it at all. I, I really enjoyed it. And I felt like some of the, some of the criticisms weren't necessarily like good faith. A lot of people complained that there was a, a lack of story progression, but I feel like that's false. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff you learn about a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff in the past that happened with Rio's dad and, you know, uh, Londi's dad as well, that kind of like pieces together a lot of this backstory that kind of fills in blanks on learning, you know, these characters motivations. And if you actually like, spend the time to listen to Shenhua when she's talking to you, I think every evening, you learn a lot of stuff about her. There's a ton of characterization that I think is very important because Shenmue is as much about these like small characterizations and these small moments as it is about the grand scheme stuff, where it's like, what makes that game special is that everybody feels like a real part of the world. Like everything feels like it's supposed to be there like nothing feels like an afterthought yeah no i'd agree with that and the shenhua conversations are well i'd argue some of the best conversations across the entire three games actually i think mm -hmm. the detail of, and the, I, it, it, they bring shenhua to life they make you feel part of her story part of her backstory and actually you get to know rio a bit more as well he uh, he opens yeah. up he, he he laughs he he gives I know he gives himself away a little bit more, which I think was the focus of Shenmue Three was to give him a bit more character because he's quite you know he's quite deadpan, isn't he? Generally, yeah, he's just he's just kind of stoic, and you know even even in the first game when you interact with your friends, it's never like it never feels you know it never feels like they're they're very good friends or whatever, even though they're supposed to be. Like the story tells you they are, but like 
his interactions are so robotic with them. So it was kind of nice to see in Shenmue 3 that you kind of got that side of him where you, you hear stories about his past as well with his friends when he's talking to her. And it just makes him feel like more of a real person. Um, the only the only complaint I had with Shenmue 3 was just, you know, not getting all of the original voice actors back. You know, and I, a lot of fan mods have kind of fixed that. But I'd love to see that stuff reintegrated into the game. Like Paul Lucas not being Lon D was a huge disappointment to me. Like, it felt like it deflated this huge moment. You, you spend three games, uh, two decades waiting to see Lon D again. And when you roll up to him, the, he he sounds like like snidely whiplash from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Like he's got this like nasally voice instead of this deep menacing voice that you remember from the first game, and it just deflates that moment. Like I, I, that's the one thing that I I disliked about it. It was like you know I could take or leave the phone conversations, not having the original voice actors. They're all optional, but Lon D was such an important element. Because the last time you see him in Shenmue 2, he's just flying away on a helicopter. He says nothing to you. So it's like, this is the first time you hear this guy speak in three games. And to kind of have his voice change as much as it did was just a big, big disappointment. Yeah, I think that was echoed across the community as a whole. Actually, I interviewed Bill Black, who did the recordings for it. And I know he he's openly quite openly said that if he'd have had more time to sort of research and get into the Shenmue world then he would have probably considered some of his options again it's probably as fair to say so I think he's, he's aware of the criticism as you say there's fan mods out there now obviously Eric Kelso has come back and done all the Ren lines we've got Paul Lucas has come back and done the Landy lines which is really good as well um so there's the option there now for the for the community on PC at least which is something but it it was a shock. The Landy voice more than Ren for me, anyway. I don't know if you felt that way. Yeah, the the Ren voice was kind of it was it was same. I felt the new voice actor was still pretty on par with what you would expect from from Ren, but Landy just felt like this big shift because he had such a deep menacing presence in the first game that I don't know. I like like it. I can hear his voice in the the first game just in my mind like yeah I, I, that probably is because i've watched that opening sequence of shenmue so many times but like there's this expectation that's ingrained into how he should sound and it just didn't live up to that which was sad and like i i kind of i, I read up on all the the kind of reasoning where it was you know the the voice acting was recorded you know in japan for the first two games i think the the, the english voice acting was done in japan so it's like you know it wasn't convenient to where they were recording three so a lot of these people were kind of you know remote or whatever so it's fair um and you know i, I certainly don't feel like it detracted from the game overall because i still really loved it and i i finished the game and just i felt so good about it and also pretty sad because it kind of felt like you know, I, I, with all the criticism that the community was leveraging at it for, you know, whatever reason, Epic Game Store or, you know, whatever other things, I, I kind of felt like, you know, is this going to be it for Shenmue? Like, I, I really want more. I want to see what happens next. And I'm just, I got nervous at that point because of the way the community was responding to it. I was like, you know, am I alone in my opinion that this was a good game? I would say not. I think with anything, it's quite easy to be negative, especially with social media, as I'm sure you've seen across many games across many years. But actually, if you look at the community response as a whole, it is generally favourable. 
but I don't think people were loud enough about that. Was I, if that's my personal thought on it, yes, it it does have its flaws. Shenmue Three, absolutely. But I mean, it was developed in a very different context. The original games back in the day, and the fact it even exists is a is a minor miracle. Well, it's a miracle in itself, isn't it? Yeah. It was a game, as I said before, it's a game that should that never, never should have happened, really. And the, and the community brought it back. And it's, I mean, obviously, you don't have to like everything. Of course, you don't. But it's a little sad that I think some people were quite vocal in their displeasure at some aspects of it, that it detracted from actually what the game did quite well. We are where we are. And hopefully we get a Shenmue 4. And on that topic with Shenmue 4, what are your hopes for a fourth game should it come along? I mean, I just, you know, I'm I'm interested in seeing what this treasure is now that, you know, they're they're off to find at the end of the third game. Like, you know, it's it's another cliffhanger. So it's like, you know, I'm just I'm here waiting to see what happens oh, yes. next. And, you know, I kind of consumed that Shenmue online trailer from years ago where it was like, you know, all this magic happening. And it's like, I want to know what's up with this magic. Like, wh- what are these like fireballs people were doing in that trailer? Like, is this stuff that's going to show up like? Those are things I'm kind of interested in seeing, and it, it does feel like it's kind of moving uh, more in, I don't want to say like a supernatural direction, but like it's certainly moving in a direction where it feels like, you know, the fourth game might, you know, bring some of that stuff in. It could do, couldn't it? And it's sort of hinted at with Shen Ha when she um, interrogates Yang Lang, the uh, Mongolian wrestler, with her. You don't quite ever know, find out what she does to him, but she does something and it's it's implied around her powers. And she talks about in her dreams that she, that she almost feels alive in certain villages. Like she's lived countless lives, etc. through her ancestors. So I think you're right. I think it is going that way. And my, my view of that Shemu Online trailer, there's certainly some canon in there. Not necessarily all of it, but I would be surprised if we didn't see a good portion of that trailer in a fourth or fifth game. And I mean, one example is you, the, the scroll you get from Aldi. Yeah, that's in that online trailer. Yeah, it feels like, you know, it, it's very clear that you, Suzuki, had a plan with this game and the, the series and the story. And it was very well mapped out because when you go back and look at stuff, even that earliest Project Berkeley trailer, it's like there are elements in this thing that three decades later are still in the game. Like, you know, it, with Shenmue 3, I was amazed to like see that like, hey, there had been concept art of some of these new characters circulating uh, online, you know, back in the early thousands, and they were just kind of ignored. Nobody knew who the character was yet. But, you know, this character showed up very faithfully in Shenmue 3, and it's like, there's something reassuring about knowing that there was always a plan, and it, it I think it helps Len to make this a, a, a better series. It just feels so meticulously planned. It does. So, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit again. Obviously, we don't know what the status of Shenmue 4 is at the moment, and we had to bring Shenmue back from back from the dead, for want of a better expression. Do you think Shenmue 4 should be the should be the last game in the series and, and finish it off? I don't know. I don't I don't so the thing is I don't want I don't want Yu Suzuki to have to compromise in his vision because there's something really calming about the pace of Shenmue, right? Just being able to take your time and take it easy and really absorb the ambience of wherever you are. And I feel like if it's like, oh, there's a chance for a fourth game and and they have to kind of rush through resolving the story, it's not it's not going to be the way that it's supposed to. So I'm kind of conflicted because I want, you know, a resolution. I don't want something to happen to Yusan, where he, 
you know, he gets sick and dies and then we never get a fifth installment. But on the other hand, it's like, what if he can complete his vision as it was planned? Because I think if I recall when Shenmue 2 moved to Xbox, I remember there being some post probably on Shenmue Dojo because I used to go there all the time where he was like Shane Black or somebody from Xbox uh, had talked to Yu Suzuki and, and said that there was going to be five Shenmue games. So at this point, we're so close to that fifth one, getting to where it needed to be to be fully resolved the way that it was supposed to, that it's like, I don't really want to see him compromise. I kind of I kind of just want to, you know, gamble and see this thing through the way that it's supposed to be seen through. I Yeah, I can see exactly where you're coming from. And I know there was some elements of the community or certainly wider press that were arguing yeah, you've brought this game back from the dead. It should be finished in three, but I think you'd you lose so much. We don't know half of what's going on in that Project Berkeley trailer. Are we going to see the train? Are we going to see the temple? There's so much that's unresolved. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it could be done in one game, but and I'd rather it was done in his vision, what he wants, than it was compromised and it wasn't quite... It was good, but wasn't where it could have been, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I just... I don't want to be rushing between set pieces or whatever. And, you know, like... Shenmue, one of the things that's great about it is, you know, the games don't do these, like, you know, they don't fade to black and go like, you know, five years later or whatever. You're kind of going through things in real time. And I feel that's very important to the series and the appeal. And, you know, if if he was forced to kind of cut things down and he had to jump between these, these different moments or sequences, like you're going to have to have, you know, things like that where you know time just kind of progresses when the screen fades out or whatever and you miss key details you miss things that should have been there and you know, i'm not looking for that kind of experience from shenmue i'm looking for something that puts me in the world and makes me feel like i am rio and i am you know on this quest to avenge my father lovely thank you for that and the next sort of point, I suppose, around Shenmue and the franchise is is the anime. Obviously, we have, at the time of this being recorded, there's a panel next week at New York Comic Con. I mean, what, what are your hopes for the anime and what it can do, not just for the franchise, but also in terms of what you expect to see from the anime itself? I mean, I, I'm hoping that the anime is a chance to get more people into the, the franchise and just get more fans. Uh, I feel like if younger people get into Shenmue through that, you know, they'll They'll play the games, they'll get into it, and it will, my hope is, generate enough interest again to, you know, give the fourth game a shot. Um, That's kind of my long-term goal. And, you know, if not that, at least, you know, if the anime is good and can make it to this point, you know, I've always said, when it seemed like Shenmue 3 was unlikely, like, I was like, I'd read this in book form. If that's the way I have to get the story, uh, I would be more than happy with that. So, you know, if there's some outlet, some media type that can finish this story or advance it, uh, I'm going to be happy with that. Um, So my overall hope with Shenmue 4, or not Shenmue 4, the anime is that it leads to Shenmue 4. Realistic view is, you know, if Shenmue 4 can't happen, at least the anime is there to progress the story. Yeah, yeah. And I think... In some respects, it's a smart move, isn't it? Because you've got, hopefully, best case scenario, as you say, it brings in a lot of new fans. They play the games, they get on board, and Shenmue 4 all of a sudden becomes that much more viable to to a to an audience that they can actually really go for it. And if it doesn't, and the anime is still successful, then we get hopefully get a story resolution, which I think that's what we are all craving. I'd love it in game form, and if you yeah, if you had to hold me to my word, I want it in game form. But I will take it anyway. I can get get it yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Which we, we will see. We're, I'm hoping 
fingers crossed that we get we get some real good news on the anime um this time next week so we'll see but your obviously passion for Shenmue sort of come into your work as well you've you've released the Shenmue 3 collector's edition when um the original release came out you've got the complete edition on the way you've you've also been involved in the LP sets the CD sets can you talk me through how that all started from an initial idea to pitching it to getting it to market so we had approached, so I actually made it a point to approach Deep Silver when I kind of learned that they were publishing the game. I, I found a way to send them an email and, you know, ask like, hey, do you have a collector's edition for Shenmue 3 coming out? Because if you don't, I feel like that's going to be a wasted opportunity because, you know, Shenmue fans love the series. They're going to want to be able to get a box that has more than just the game because I'm speaking from personal uh, experience on that. I'm like, I want to spend more to get a better box for this game. Like, and I also really selfishly wanted to do a Phoenix and Dragon Mirror replica. And the surprising response they gave back to me was that they were doing one, but they were only going to do it in Europe. Yeah. So I was able to convince them, like, hey, let us do it in the U.S. I'll prepay you for all all the units. I'll take all the risk. So. I kind of took all the risk to make that US version of the collector's edition happen. And uh, I also kind of put my own spin on it by adding this uh, Shenmue 3 mock Dreamcast case in yes. it, which I worked with Sega USA to make happen. Um, and they were super confused about this idea. They were like, what do you mean it's an empty Dreamcast case? Who would want that? <laughs> so I had to I had to really like sell this idea. But once they got it, they got it. And uh I was super happy to be able to do that. Everything else in the collector's edition was kind of predefined, preset, yeah. done by Deep Silver. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to do my dream, which was, you know, full size Phoenix and Dragon Mirror replicas. But maybe at some point I'll get to do that. Um, still didn't really get to do it with the complete edition. But um, that was uh, that was a really cool thing. It like kind of blew my mind when, you know, they said, OK, to letting us do it because we got to be involved with my favorite game of all time you know the, my two favorite games of all time are fantasy star online and, and shenmue so um that was a huge deal to to be able to get to do something with that series and uh at the following e3 i got to meet yu suzuki which was amazing um i think i probably embarrassed myself <laughs> by just kind of espousing my love for him and his games and shenmue but um it was just incredible to be able to work on it and then when i finally played shenmue 3 you know, I, I finished it and I was like, I, I really like this game. I hope I have more opportunities to work on Shenmue stuff again. Mm -hmm. And after all the DLC came out, I kind of realized that I could tell from the, the trophy earning statistics that nobody was buying the DLC. Nobody was playing it. And I was like, oh, that's not that's not a good sign. Uh, so I, I reached out to Deep Silver and I was like, hey, you know, I, I just played all this DLC and I actually really enjoyed it, even though some of it was kind of weird, uh, like the, the the battle race one. It was weird, but it was fun. Like it felt like a, an arcade game. Like it was yeah, cool. Right. Um, so I, I was like, I, I actually really enjoyed this DLC and I really enjoyed the game itself. I'd love to make uh, a complete edition because I feel like that's something that would appeal to our fans where, you know, they could get a game and all the DLC on the disc because I don't think you're planning to do one of those. And uh, I'd also like to have an opportunity to include some items that I thought were cool from the game. Uh, and they kind of, they, they agreed to letting us try it. And uh, 
we had some weird restrictions. Like we couldn't sell the complete edition, you know, just game by itself, which was something I wanted to do, but there were too many copies of the standard DLC free version out on retail and they didn't want to, you know, invalidate that version. So, you know, we had to sell it as a collector's edition. Um, and that's what we ended up doing. And, you know, we're kind of still stuck in a weird state on that because it's been, it's been interesting to get the, the game disc approved with Sony. It's just been this kind of almost nightmare scenario where, you know, at first we were like, oh, the content's too big for the disc, which, you know, we we're like, we'll do two discs. That's fine. But then it's, it's this really complicated, weird situation. But I think we have it figured out now. Finally, everything with the actual physical goods is kind of finished and waiting to come over from China. Um, so it was an interesting experience overall, and I'm glad to have been able to do more for Shenmue because, you know, my ultimate goal with all of these products was like, I wanted to show that there was more demand for Shenmue and do literally everything I could on my side to try to make a case for Shenmue 4, because I don't want to be sitting somewhere like 10 years down the line going like, I should have done more to make Shenmue 4 a thing. Like I, I wanted to know, like, you know, I used the tools that I had to make it get done by, you know, doing this vinyl soundtrack release, doing this complete edition, you know, figuring out ways that I could make a revenue case for, for Shenmue 4 to exist. And yeah, I feel like I did an okay job, but you know, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. Cause you know, ultimately I'm not on that, that end of the spectrum. I'm basically, you know, just the guy that makes stuff. I just kind of, kind of hope at some point something happens very good stuff um so the lp set before um again did that come around in discussions with making the complete edition or was it a separate idea so so we we hired a uh, japanese business development guy to kind of start our, our japanese wing a guy named uh, alexander anile and uh he had a record label called brave wave and they had kind of already been in discussions to do something for shenmue 3 so uh, when we brought him on, I was like, progress these conversations because I really want to make this happen. And uh, he was very adamant on doing just, you know, uh, a, a two disc selected thing, kind of like data discs did. But I was like, you know what? Like, to be honest, I love the data disc release, but there's a lot of tracks that I love in the game that are not on those. Yep. Like, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I know there is literally hundreds of tracks of music in each game but each song can mean something different to somebody else like one person could be uh obsessed with the song from bob's pizza or whatever and they are you know if you look on youtube that that song has hundreds of thousands of views and it's like you know nobody nobody outside of somebody in the shenmue community would ever like say like hey let's put bob's pizza on the vinyl but that's a song that means something to someone so i'm like you know who am I to say that this random song that plays in a, a, a random shop in Nyawu won't be a song that somebody really loves. So I was like, let's, let's, let's dive in fully and do like a 13 LP set where we literally have everything. And uh, there was kind of a, a side benefit of it where, you know, when we were mastering these tracks for uh WiseNet, the tracks like like they were this mix of like new tracks that were made for Shenmue three. And then like, old tracks that had been recorded back in the thousands for, you know, kind of the original uh, uh, either Shenmue one, Shenmue two, or this kind of original attempt at Shenmue three. And uh, all these things needed to be remastered to be brought in line with each other. 
So we did that. And like in the process of doing that, we made all these tracks like fully usable again. So like they don't have to ever bother with that expense in the future if they, you know, do get to come back to Shinmu. Like that was kind of a thing that like, you know, Alex told me like, hey, you know, if they remaster these things, it'll be available for them to use again. And I was like, okay, that's one, another way I can help to try to make Shenmue 4 a thing. You know, it's a small thing, you know, that's a minor expense in the grand scheme of things, but it's something, you know, whatever I can do to remove barriers. Cause you know, as a fan, I just want Shenmue 4 to happen. Yeah, definitely. But my big, my big ask with the soundtrack, you know, going back to the Bob's pizza thing was, you know, the song that gets stuck in my head from Shenmue and that's in literally every Shenmue game is the tomato convenience store song. <laughs> and it's like, I looked it up and I was like, why has this never been on any piece of physical Shenmue soundtrack like released? Like it wasn't on any of the CDs. It wasn't on any of the vinyl. Like there was no way to get that song in a physical form. And I'm like outside of the theme song for Shenmue. That's like the only song that's in all three games. It's like a constant element of the series. It's like, it's, it's, it's there and it's not, it's like, you can't easily listen to it outside of YouTube. So I was like, this song has to go on, you know, both the two LP and it's gotta be in the 13 disc set. I mean, obviously it would be because that's every song in the game, but I made it a point. I was like, you know, you can pick any other songs you want for the for the curated 2LP but tomato convenience stores theme has to be there that's that's my mandate <laughs> I, really, I know actually i saw some people on twitter when you announced it were asking is it going to be is tomato going to be on there is it going to be on there and you're like yes yes it will be <laughs> oh dear brilliant i love that. and i love the passion behind it as well because it's it's coming from a, a fan at the end of the day and it and it shows and i know that you've got um you had john Lennon do a um a a bit a piece of writing for one of the inserts which i've seen already because i know some of them are sort of are starting to make their way into consumers hands which i thought was really nice and there's i'm sure others that you can't talk about to come through aren't there yeah and we we actually you know i i made it a point to kind of go back to the original concept artist for the series as well so i got yes. you know uh, alex went to uh WiseNet and they said hey can you get us in in touch with him and uh that happened and we were able to to get him to do a new piece which was i thought was really cool it was you know people outside of the community they looked at the piece and they're like this doesn't look you know i don't understand why they're using this as the cover but everybody in the community got it they were like this is this is important this is very authentic yeah absolutely and it, it's part of just part of it it's part of shenmue and the fact that it was the original artist i don't know it's again it's it just appealed to the community and that community spirit at the end of the day. And I think that's why it was so popular. It's one of my favorite designs, actually. I love it. It's really, really good. So again, it comes from a, a place of passion. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to be cheeky and ask this. Obviously they're being prepped or they're in manufacturing. When do you think all of this will be ready to be shipped? I know you've had a lot of problems with China getting stuff over, etc. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, so the, the vinyl set should hopefully be ready soon. It's just, you know, international shipping right now, just getting things over. So the vinyl sets are produced, I think in the Czech Republic. So we have to kind of wait for a, a flight freight out of the Czech Republic that like can actually kind of get these things over. Cause they're very heavy. They're very large. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm hoping we'll be able to have that 13 disc set soon. As far as, um, I'm aware, I believe those are complete, um, as are the kind of individual volumes. Um, cause we did offer it, you know, we had the 13 disc set, we had the Bailu volume, the Nyawu volume, and then we had the, the two LPs. So two LPs are already over They're They're small, they're light. So those came first. And then I'm hoping the bigger sets arrive within the next few weeks. You know, that's my hope. 
the complete edition box set, the, the collector's edition, I, I'm hoping that's soon. Um, it's just been crazy to get that through and shipping out of China has been so unpredictable where it's like, you know, we can have a uh, collector's edition complete manufacturing and then it will just have to sit in the warehouse for uh, five to six months just to find a shipping container and a shipping boat to come over on. So it's been kind of impossible to predict. It's been, you know, that's honestly, that's been the big nightmare situation for me over the last two years. Like I kind of lose sleep over these kind of delays that are happening that are completely out of uh, our control just because of the global state of shipping. But I'm hoping things get better. I'm hoping we get them in soon. Uh, the the thing is, I know it'll be worth the wait. I know people are going to be happy with it. Um, and there's at least, you know, in my mind, I feel like I, I put some good nods to the elements in Shenmue 3 that were special to me. You know, the, the Sword of Seven Stars that we're doing, the little replica of that I, I thought was really cool. And uh, the Bailu Chan and Chobu Chan, yeah. Getting getting the little you know little rubber figures of them are it's it's great. They're just like you know they're not necessarily appealing to anybody who didn't play the game, but to anybody who played the game, they're you know kind of the perfect items to include. So I'm excited for those to come over, and I think people are gonna be happy to get them. I can't wait. I must must confess, I've been looking forward to it ever since I ordered it. So when they come through, I'll be waiting with anticipation for those to turn up on my doorstep in the UK and. I'm happy, you know, the wait's the wait because I, I I know for a fact, having bought other stuff from you guys, that it's always top notch. So I have no concerns. And thank you for the update on that because I know it is difficult with shipping and COVID and everything else and, and the community will be keen to know what's going on. So that, that's really good to, to get some clarity on that. So I'm just aware of the time actually as well. So I'll go into my sort of final two questions. Have you got any more ideas for sort of Shenmue inspired products that you'd like to do or or in potentially in discussions about that you can't talk about too much? I'm not in discussions for anything right now. There's there's literally nothing that's that's happening uh as far as Shenmue stuff with us at this point, but you know, as a fan, I'm loaded with ideas and stuff that I want, you know, my favorite strategy guide of all time is the strategy guide for the first Shenmue game because, you know, there's like 10 pages that is just filled with bios on these like insignificant side characters. It's like, oh, there's a person that's just kind of walking on the street and you may never talk to this person, but they have a bio in this strategy guide that you can learn about. Like, hey, that guy you kicked on the motorcycle, he's got a birthday and a name and a twin brother. Like... I, there's just something really cool about all these details about these characters that you would otherwise miss. And, you know, so like a dream of mine would be to do a strategy guide for Shenmue three, you know, at the same level of detail. And we have gotten into strategy guides recently. So, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm always thinking about, but, you know, I realize the amount of work that would be, and, and I'd also need to get full approval from everybody involved with it. And, you know, just kind of pipe dream, things that i'd love to see like you know a replica of rio's notebook yeah. you know like it, it print all this stuff inside like it's totally useless as an actual notebook because he's got all his notes inside but there'd just be something cool about having that and then kind of the holy grail for me is you know full-size replicas of the mirrors oh please please do it i mean i feel like i feel like everyone wants those like that's kind of like a universal thing in the shenmue community we all want these like you know uh i don't even know how to describe their size but you know they're bigger than CDs. They're 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 big, 
big circle plate things. So, you know, I want to make that happen because the one that we shipped with that first collector's edition is so tiny. It's, you know, it's like a Oreo sized, almost very yeah. small. Yeah, it's but oh, if you do full size mirrors, put me down for one or both <laughs> straight away. Yeah, hopefully, and and you know, really weird idea. This is I don't think anybody else would really want this, but I love the little cassettes in the game that you collect. You know how oh, like yeah, yeah. Ev- every song has a little ca- single. You know, there's just a single cassette for that song. Like it would be neat to me to have you know replicas of all of those. I don't think anybody else would care, but you know, I would compulsively buy you know thirty five cassette tapes that look like the ones from Shenmue. Why not? Why not? And I, I mean, personally, I'd love a Shenmue one and two collector's edition, similar to what you oh, yeah. with, with Shenmue three. I'd love one of those. And I know the community have been sort of throwing that idea around. I'd love one, a proper Shenmue one and two collector's edition to go with the re-releases would be brilliant. Yeah, you know my my like my big pie in the sky wish list thing that. I'd love to do, but I'll never be able to get Sega on board is, you know, finally give Shenmue 2 a U.S. Dreamcast release. Oh. Uh, so that's kind of like, you know, th- that's my ultimate pie in the sky thing. Because, you know, we-, we managed to convince Konami to let us do uh, Rondo of Blood on Turbo Duo in the U.S. as an official thing. So it's like, you know, it's a pipe dream. I don't think I'm ever going to convince Sega to do it, but, you know crazy things have happened with konami so you know maybe one day i could make that happen and you know in that case i'd get to do you know a nice collector's edition too and eventually something for the first game as well would be amazing so you know because i I think as far as collector's editions go you know we got a version of shenmue that came with like a a, the, the the jazz club soundtrack or the jukebox soundtrack or something you know that that was that was the best we we got but there could have been you know something much cooler yeah, and we didn't even get that in the UK. Actually, we just got the the standard um, power release, which yeah, it's fine. I've picked up the the jukebox etc. since, and I know the um, the PlayStation and Xbox release. Um, there was a Japanese collector's edition with the, the Shenmue Two soundtrack on it, which was really nice. But again, I don't know. I want like you. I want a full collector's like the mirrors and my my head spinning with like you know things in Shenmue that we could we could put in toy capsules. You know, you name yep. it. There's so much there, isn't there? Shenmue chocolate bar. Oh yeah, and the crisps and the crisps. <laughs> yeah. Yep. People would be like, "Why? Why are these in here?" But the fans would get it. Yeah, we'd get it and buy it all. I'm, I'm sure. Um, okay, my final question, because I'm aware of your time and you're very busy, man. Obviously, is um, do you have a, a message for the Shenmue community to sign us off? Uh, I mean, just keep up hope for the fourth game, and you know, never, never give up on supporting Shenmue. Because I, I think, I think someday we might be able to make that fourth game happen. You know, I, I don't. Again, I have no relation to it. I'm doing absolutely nothing for Shenmue, but I just like to keep up the hope that. We can make it happen because after Shenmue 3 happened and I never thought it would, you know, who, who knows? Who knows? Shenmue 4 could happen. I was going to say like a quote from the game, but then I was like, that, that'd be corny. So I'm not going to do that. Just, <laughs> you know, uh, why not keep friends, those you love close to you always, you know, yeah. something like that. But I felt uh, felt better to just kind of rally everybody because, you know, I, I really want to see a Shenmue 4 happen. And I know everybody in the community does as well, but you know, I don't want anybody feeling kind of disheartened the way that I did when I saw that kind of mainstream response to Shenmue 3. You know, I think there's still a path if we can all collectively support building to that. Yeah, 
I'd agree with that. And on that on that sort of note, for anybody who is listening new to the community or is, is coming back, don't ever forget on the fourth of every month we tweet hashtag Let's Get Shenmue Four because we want our voices heard to get that fourth game. And to sign us off, I'd just like to say thank you to you, Josh, for taking the time out of your day to join me. It's been a great hour to have you have you on the show. I look forward to getting the the limited run um, collector's edition and LP set from you guys when they when they turn up. And thank you for all your work behind the scenes in in getting these products to the fans and, and making making those happen. Thank you for having me. You know, it's been, making this stuff is my pleasure. I love stuff, so. You know, what I do isn't work to me. You know, most of the time it's me just trying to make things that I want for myself happen. You know, that's the case with Shenmue. You know, I just really wanted something to happen there so I could own it myself. So, you know, doing this is it's a bit selfish in a way, but I, I'm glad that there's other people that want this stuff that I want. 